My name is Kyle Rand, and I beat the often path by taking cutting-edge technology and showing just how impactful it can be for the aging population. Welcome back to the Beat the Often Path podcast. I'm your host, Ross Palmer. On this show, we showcase unusual success stories to help us think about our lives and our careers from a different perspective. If you like the show, please do me the favor of going ahead and hitting that subscribe button or rating the show five stars. Help build this community. Today, we've got Kyle Rand in the house, and he's the co-founder and CEO of Rendever. He grew up volunteering at a senior living community and later went on to study cognitive decline in the aging population at Duke University. Now, Kyle was recently named to Forbes 30 Under 30, and his company was just listed the Times list of the 100 most influential companies in 2022. Outstanding achievements, both. When you meet him, you'll understand why. His company has raised millions in funding, pursuing a truly noble cause empowering the elderly to form communities through virtual reality. In case you didn't know, loneliness and isolation are two of the biggest problems facing us as we age, and he's found a life and career of meaning solving that challenge. Here is Kyle Rand, co-founder and CEO of Rendever. Thank you, Kyle, for joining me. It's a pleasure to have you on the podcast. How's it going today? It is great, Ross. I'm pleased to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm very pleased to have you. Because you tackle a few things that we're really interested in. Obviously, you're pushing the boundaries with technology, which is always cool, just thinking about the future in general. But part of that, some of the less sexy parts of the future, dealing with the aging population. These are things that a lot of people don't want to talk about. We know that it's a huge market because the population is aging. All of those boomers that TikTok keeps talking about, they're approaching retirement and old age. So there's about to be a huge explosion of this population. Um, but I do have to say before we jump in, there's one little issue that I have, and that is that because you're in VR, you're in the wrong thing. So mm. VR was a few years ago. Now it's all about NFTs and crypto. So I don't know why we're even doing this. <laughs> I mean, that's a valid point like two weeks ago, but even what's changed in the past two weeks, like who knows? I think Coinbase stock just like took a massive tumble this week. It really did. I don't follow it that closely, I must admit, ah. but... VR, at least for this demographic, is on the up and up and up. Right, and that would fit the stereotype that only old people will be using. I'm just kidding. All right, let's get back on, back on track. Now, tell us about what you do in your mission and uh, how you came about getting on that mission. Yeah, so at Rendever, as a company, we are uh, on a mission to reduce social isolation through the power of positive shared experiences. And the primary way we do that is through virtual reality. Um, why we're doing this, there, there's a million reasons. But on a personal note, you know, I've had the pleasure of really spending my entire life working in some capacity with older adults. I used to volunteer at a senior living community. I studied cognitive decline in the aging population while I was at Duke. Um, I had some really, really unfortunately negative experiences with my grandmother as she was going through this process. And uh, I got to see firsthand just how tough it can be, not only for an individual, but really for an entire family. And you know, seeing our family dynamics shift through that process was something that will always, always stick with me. And you know, fast forward a few years, I, I met up with a group of people who had similar experiences, and we kind of dug into the data behind social isolation. Now, that was that was before social isolation was something that we all experienced, right? We just spent two years getting a firsthand look into what exactly happens when you have an entire an entire life, an entire world ahead of you, and then all of a sudden, bam, doors Nothing. closed. Deal with it, right? We, we we all have that, and so I think my my job. If, as far as explaining just how bad social isolation can be is so much easier. Uh, and, yeah. you know, silver lining, also really negative. Um, but when you look at this demographic specifically, you know, it's it's really dangerous. It's We're talking about a 30% increase in risk of hypertension and stroke, a 50% increase in risk of dementia, a lot of premature cognitive decline. We're talking about immunosuppression, so risk of infection goes up. Uh, we're talking about even an increase in risk of diabetes. That one always floors me. And then the things you probably commonly easily think about is depression, anxiety, risk of suicide, all of these things together create a picture in which people are 30% higher mortality rates when they're uh, at a significant rate of social isolation. So, yep. And, and we've also noticed that it, uh, there's a 30% increase in the chances that they will start their own podcast. <laughs> at least. At least. Could at be least. 70% on that front. But terrible things, obviously. Horrible mm -hmm. things. Um, I want to get into the personal element before we jump into all of that, because obviously that's huge. But on a personal level, I think 
anybody who's gotten older has dealt with the passing of a loved one. Anybody who has been a part of that system has witnessed it. I know I have. I know I've seen things with my own grandparents that were very frustrating, even down to the quality of food, the way that they're handled, just a lot of things. You think, hey, this isn't this isn't so great. So what was it about the experience that first got you thinking, this is something that I want to be a part of, that I want to solve and not just complain about? You know, and, and, uh, there, there are a lot of negative things I could bring to the picture, but I, honestly, the, the very first moment that always stuck with me was while I was volunteering at a community as a kid, there's this one day where uh, what I would do as a volunteer, we would go in and we'd scoop ice cream. It had an in-house ice cream parlor. So we were a bunch of kids that got really excited about being able to go in and scoop ice cream and eat as much ice cream as we wanted. And there was this one day where this gentleman walked in and I immediately, I locked eyes with him and I pointed at him and I said, you want rum raisin with chocolate sprinkles. And the smile that spread across his face from that little moment of recognition is something that just has stuck with me uh, through this day. And I think it really paints a picture of just how ripe for impact this population is, right? It's, 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 as you said, it's massive, massive and growing demographic. And it's people who've lived years and years of really incredible lives. And everybody, they're looking for a connection. And the opportunity to provide connection and provide means and pathways to form connections, it's a really easy mission to wake up excited about every single day. Absolutely. And why do you think it is that in our culture, we devalue the elderly so much. Why are we so youth focused in general? The only people that have value are people who are under the age of 18. When did that happen and why? You know, I'll, I'll answer my thoughts on the society part, but I think the one of the big issues for industry is there's so much marketing material, marketing budget, ad spend that goes right towards the younger demographic. What people are ignoring is that the 50 plus economy represents, I think it's over $8 trillion dollars. And wow. to just totally ignore that much money is it makes no sense at, from a business perspective, right? right? And so there's a there's an entire conversation there. There's a lot of people who are helping to understand what this longevity economy really is, and it's massive. It's massive, and so I think we'll see a lot of people, businesses taking shape and looking in this direction. But I think there's a bigger underlying thing that you, you mentioned a second ago, which is as a society, we don't have a healthy relationship with aging. Right? No. We, we think about aging, we think about old people, we think about death and we, we push it away. Right? It's, it's not something that we want to we lean into and talk about or think about, but it's so odd because the two things that are guaranteed in our life is that we're getting older second by second and at some point we're going to die. Yep. And so yep. we don't have the capacity to think about it, to, to have conversations about it, to ideate and think about how can we make that process better knowing that that's a process we're all going to go through. Then, then we're not only selling the current demographic short, we're also selling ourselves short. Mm -hmm. That's so true. And so many businesses, of course, I live in the greater Los Angeles area, and you won't go broke making a business that offers facial fillers, Botox, uplifts, anything to make us look younger, hair implants. I don't know if you've seen these photos floating around, but it's, it's not just the Kardashians, but it's anybody like them. It's here's what they posted on Instagram and here's what they actually looked before it was so heavily edited, photoshopped, all of that. The difference is night and day. The real image is a very obviously aging person with all of the defects that come with aging. And what is presented on Instagram is essentially more of a painting than it is a photograph. But that's the world where we all feel like we have to present this youthful image at all times. And I've always taken issue with that. I've always felt that aging doesn't have to be something that we have to fight. It can be something that we can embrace, mm -hmm. but we just, we don't. Mm -hmm. You know, one of my favorite trends that's uh, happening right now are people really starting to adopt and lean into gray hair and silver hair. And people are stunning with, with that color hair. I agree. It, it can look so Richard good. Gere proved that years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think I think then before women, but now women are really like increasingly starting to lean yeah. into it. And it's just it's stunning. Um, but you're right. There's there's so much if you look to the younger demographic, if you look to the influence that social media has, there's so much focus on having a picture perfect face, which is often thought of as youthful, which is often thought of as uh perfect, which is just it's it's not right. Yeah, and, and contrary, I if I'm not mistaken, I believe in Eastern cultures, they believe 
that the elderly have wisdom and that they have things that they can impart on the younger generation. But we seem to have this opposite thing where anything an older person says is automatically devalued. People think if I don't look a certain way, then nobody's going to listen to what I have to say. They just won't even won't even listen at all. And on platforms like TikTok, like you said, social media, we've noticed that absolutely, where if you're not a kid posting on TikTok, you're a dinosaur. You're nobody. There's nothing that uh, you I'm can do. I'm a dinosaur. Yeah, I'm, I'm a, a dinosaur. dinosaur too. I got called a boomer and I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm part of like, to call, that is the greatest insult you can give our generation. With all the stuff that we've had to deal with to, to lump us into that generation, that's crazy. But the millennial mm -hmm. generation gets kind of just conveniently lumped in when it makes sense. That's nuts, though. We don't no, it, share those life uh, stories. Not at all. It's it's so interesting. Like, if you think about social media, a lot of what social media has the power to do is to connect people and to help right. form, like, connections across, across massive boundaries. And on the flip side, what really is happening is it feels like it's creating these microcultures that you're either a part of or you're not. And it creates this like us versus them mentality that but there's, there's a lot of people who could probably speak a lot more uh, fine-tuned about that whole topic. But I think one of the, to, to tune it a little bit towards where we are, one of the things that I noticed early on was even like when I was talking to my parents, right? I remember, I remember as a college student, always calling my parents old. And always thinking they're the oldest. And now I work in the aging demographic. My parents are in their early 60s. And they're now saying, oh, we're so old. I'm like, you, you have no idea. You're so young. You have so right. much opportunity, so much life. <laughs> like, yeah. like, go out there and explore. And I think that one of the things that really, having reflected on this a ton, uh, really creates these situations in which it's easy to call somebody old is when technology comes into play. Right? Yep. Someone is introduced to technology and they don't get it. They get frustrated by it. They're like, nah, that's not for me. And that creates like an immediate divide between people who are tech adaptive and people who want to push away tech because it frustrates them. And that's such, it's so unfortunate. And it's been really formative in how we've built this company and saying, you know, tech doesn't have to be something that divides and creates like an us versus them, um, but actually can allow people to, to connect if it's approached in the right way. So true. Do you feel that there's a component of, not feeling that they're allowed to embrace tech because um, my mom, I was talking to her. We have my brother and his kids live in Seattle. My mom is in Colorado. And I said, why don't you get a Nintendo Switch? That way you can play Mario Kart with uh, with my nephew. She's she like, thinks, no, I oh, instead. I can't do that. Well, we're going to get into that now. <laughs> but it's, she's, oh, I can't do that. Nintendo Switch is for kids. It's like, is it though? Does it have to be? Couldn't it just be fun, a way to connect? Um, so that brings us back to how do you give, what kind of handholding do you need to have to give these people the permission for one thing? Say, yes, it's okay to put on this VR headset. And also, I assume the training or uh, the information that they need to use it that's where you come in? Is that a personal thing? You have to have somebody physically there saying, this is how it works and let me help you with that? Yeah, yeah. Before we dive in, first of all, marketers like take note, huge demographic, huge industry, huge spending power. If only the Nintendo Switch was marketed at this demographic. Imagine what would happen. And you know, what's interesting, like Facebook's portal devices, I think in the very, like right from day one, they were really targeting intergenerational connection through technology. And that to me was such a big breath of fresh air. And That's I think that true. again, we're, we're going to see a lot more of that start to take shape. Um, and then to take one step further into, um, you know, how you need to approach that, I think, and, and why the divide I think happens right now is for a lot of people, technology presents an opportunity for escape. This is, a, this is definitely true with the Nintendo Switch and video gaming. It's definitely true in, in a lot of VR circles. Um, it's true in social media circles, right? It creates an opportunity to escape. And it's like, you, you think about the word escape. What do you, what do you think? The last, the last thing you think about is, oh, I need to teach someone how to navigate this technology, More right? That, that's effort. That can be, it can be stressful having to, you know, naturally it, it can be stressful as a young person trying to like identify and understand and navigate like okay you don't understand you're not grasping this because you don't have these years of experience so we got to take like six giant steps back to say before we can take even one step forward right and i think that that creates a lot of friction it creates an it, it creates this 
dynamic where rather than technology naturally being an opportunity to connect, people kind of push and therefore older adults might say, oh, like this is actually a disconnection device and I need, I need to maybe steer clear of it. Yeah. So true. So tying that back in to what you have done. So you recognize that there was this huge gap, that there was this community that was being badly served, that there were bad outcomes, especially, again, if you witness uh, the loss of a loved one at that stage, it can be particularly gut-wrenching to watch that happen. So when did you start formulating an idea to go along the path of VR as a potential solution. I think there are many solutions to social isolation. Uh, first, recognizing that that is the problem that you want to solve. How did you get thinking along those lines? Yeah, it's, it's a great question. Um, so we, as a company, Rendever was founded in 2016. And I don't know if you were a part of it, but 2015, 2016 was the first time that a lot of people had their first VR experience. Yeah. There was I, yeah. Google Cardboard launch, New York Times shipped out these like cardboard devices to all their subscribers. And all of a sudden, all across the US, people were taking their smartphones, putting right, it into a piece of cardboard, yeah. uh, pulling it up their head, like, wow, VR. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like a magnifying yeah, yeah. glass on your phone. Yeah. Yeah, and so we're you know we're we're up in Boston, and people all over the place were like, okay, what can we do with this technology? Can we use it? And everyone was looking to kids. Everyone was looking at video games. Everyone's like, wow, this is going to be going to be next level video game platform. And we took a step back and we're like, look, you think about this headset. You hold that up there. All of a sudden, you can go anywhere in the world, and you can do anything. Think about the aging demographic who went through an experience, no matter where they are in their aging process, it's some along each step, their access to the world becomes more and more limited. And think about the opportunity to all of a sudden reopen all those doors and expand their worlds. And we got super excited. And uh, the, the moment we did our first set of demos, it became super clear that there was definitely magic to uncover here. And we had to turn to, okay, how do we actually make this work? That's That's a great insight. And it also makes me think of something that I hadn't really thought of before, but I've always kind of innately been rubbed the wrong way. When, when you've got youth, when you have a capable body, people who play video games all day, and I know I'll get a lot of hate for saying something like this, but because people cling to their video games, young people, they want to spend 10, 14 hours a day playing video games sometimes, and you think, okay, that's great, you're awesome at this game, but if you're not a professional gamer, if you're not going to make money from doing that, in some sense, it's almost, let's say, a waste of your physical body when you are capable to spend nothing, to do nothing else but play this thing that, again, is for most people escapism. It's not, and they can say things like, I'm building real world skills, I'm building tactical skills. If, if somebody ever needs me to shoot up a whole mess of people, I, I know how to do it. I know how to kill a whole lot of people really efficiently with a gun. Um, great, awesome. But it's interesting because what you just described is a spin that not a lot of I just don't hear it very often that as you get older and your physical capabilities decrease, that's when you need those kind of mental expansion tools more, not the other way around. It's the opposite. You know, there's people, like kids all over the place being like, ah, classic boomer. I know, I know, I know. It's a horrible <laughs> thing. I know. It's like, I knew before I said it that it was a, a, the worst oh, possible go. thing to say. You get flamed <laughs> for that for sure. Yeah, but no, I mean, I mean, I mean the point I think is, is super accurate. Um, and I think, you know, we could probably spend a whole bunch of time thinking about the, you know, how to strike the right balance for the younger generations. But for the older generations, as you said, the opportunity that this technology and virtual reality presents, it's, it's so good. It's so good. And it's so big. And it's, it's something worth leaning into. We don't typically see a lot of people spending 10 to 12 hours a day in their Rendever uh, system, but um, the the opportunity for impact. Who knows? Yeah. Maybe, maybe someday we'll get a call and be like, you know, I just spent I just spent 24 hours straight exploring the world that I got to say, I've never felt happier. I was in the Maldives and they just put a little fan next to them just blowing a little air. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, honestly, one of our, one of my favorite stories, it's a little bit of a tangent, but it, I think we'll, we'll take the conversation into well, what we're seeing in the industry. Uh, there was one person who I think they were about to celebrate their 100th birthday. And they had a plan where they were going to go skydiving, like, and talk about, first of all, shifting our idea of what aging is. You can totally no go kidding. skydiving. No um, unfortunately, uh, there, there was an incident. It was during COVID and uh, the resident got sick and wasn't able to go. 
And um, what the staff member at her community did was say, hey, we can do this in VR. And so strapped her into a render headset and then loaded up the skydiving experience and then counted down three, two, one, turned on a giant fan. So the wind was blowing in her face. Yes. And then she goes, I don't know if I'm ready. And he goes, do you need a push? She's like, I need a push. And then he just taps <laughs> her on the shoulder. And it was amazing. It was magic. And it was Whoa. an amazing, it was the hundredth birthday celebration. Were there screams elicited? Oh, for sure. Yeah. For sure. For sure. Wow. All the best ones. Amazing. So when you you recognize social isolation, this is a potential for mind expansion. How do you start programming or deciding what experiences you're going to put into this thing? I imagine that's tough. Yeah. So the experiences, there, there, there are two components here, right? There's the actual experiences, then there's the approach and deploying it, right? In that case of the woman who wanted to go skydiving, think about being her. Think about, I'm about to have this amazing experience. I'm about to go get on this plane. I'm going to go jump out of this plane. like, And then all of a sudden, the world says no. And think about, that is an immediate opportunity to turn inward and, you know, get sad, feel lonely, feel yeah. disconnected, and feel, feel the pains of what aging can, can be. And instead, the staff are like, no, we're going to make this happen. It's going to be a little bit different than we expected, but we're going to make this happen, and we're going to make a really magical moment. We're going to make it a lot of fun. And that's not just putting on a VR headset and pressing play on a skydiving experience. That's totally an approach to uh, understanding who that human is, what their desires are, what their idea of purpose and passion and the life that they want to live in that day and that moment is, and then figuring out how to approach it, deliver it, enable them to, to experience what they want to experience and do so in a way that is building a bond, right? That staff member, that resident, you know, are just best friends now. Mm-hmm. Who do you go skydiving with on your 100th birthday and don't become best friends with? Mm-hmm. And so it's the experience is, is, is one thing, but really our approach as a company has been really to empower staff, volunteers, family members, anybody who is working with this population to deliver magical moments. And through doing that, we're inspiring connection to happen. And that's 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 really where the magic is. I completely agree. So on your personal journey, you mentioned that you went you said you went to Duke, right? So you went to school and you studied these things. Um did you have a job before you? Have you always been entrepreneurial? Did you have a, a steady nine to five before you began this pursuit? Oh, so interesting. My story is so odd. So at school, that's what we're okay. here for. Thank you. That's that's like <laughs> yeah, music okay. to my ears. <laughs> let's get yes. let's get off the beaten path. So <laughs> I went to Duke, and I went to Duke to be a biomedical engineer. Thought I was going to be engineering. Was really interested in tissue engineering. Um, and then I ended up as part of the BME track. You had to take a life science course logical. And right then, I think the previous year, they had opened up the neuroscience department. Um, and so I took neuro 101 and I loved it. I just, I fell in love with the brain. I fell in love with like, just how connected this thing is to absolutely everything we think, do, experience, feel like it's everything. It's everything that makes us human. And, uh, I just, I, I couldn't get enough. And so I, I actually ended up as uh, the first person to graduate from Duke with a double major in biomedical engineering and neuroscience. And I always thought I was going to do research and I thought I was going to do the PhD path. Like I was like neuroengineering, right? That the intersection there was neuroengineering and it's such a new field. There's so many interesting things that, that are happening. So no I joined, I joined the cognitive neuro lab um, that was focused on cognitive decline and aging population. I got to spend a lot of time with older adults going through fMRI studies and then uh, about halfway into college, I was able to join neuroengineering lab. And on that lab, I had the pleasure of having the opportunity to work with primate models. Um, and that lab was actually, it was building exoskeletons based on uh, chronically implanted uh, primates where we were recording brain activity based on you know, motor tasks, sensory tasks. And um, it was both, both labs were amazing, just a, a incredible, incredible experiences. I ended up thinking that I was going to really do the intersection, do neuroengineering. And so I stayed with the neuroengineering lab, moved down to Brazil where they, where the PI was originally from in 2014, that summer, 
because the labs were working on an exoskeleton that successfully enables the 2014 FIFA World Cup kickoff to be done by a quadriplegic man. And so a man was fully quadriplegic with this exoskeleton, stood up, walked over, and kicked a ball no to start way. 2014, which is amazing. And such a such a cool experience to be a part of, such a cool group of people to be a part of. And I just really, really leaned into it. And I have zero regrets. But what happened in that process, like we're really going down the beaten path, right? Or off the beaten path. What happened was uh, our lab was in the Pau in the Northeast, not the best infrastructure. There was a big rainstorm. That big, big rainstorm ended up with the lab totally flooding. Lab totally flooded. You know what happens when that happens? When there's a lot of uh, still water, mosquitoes come. I ended up getting bit by mosquito. I got dengue fever. I spent uh, two weeks in bed where literally my life, my day-to-day experience was wake up, drink coconut water, walk to the grocery store, buy more coconut water, go home, read Game of Thrones. And that's how I lived for two weeks. And then I was like, I think this is a sign from the universe that this isn't for me. Research is not where, where I meant to be. So I ended up going home. I moved to Boston where I had a massive, massive uh, network of people. And I knew that there was a lot going on in the startup space, entrepreneur space, life science space. And I was like, we're going to make the jump or we're, we're going to figure it out. Um, and that's, that's what I did. Luckily, while I was doing research um, in both of those labs, anytime that I got a break, so any summer vacation, any winter vacation, uh, I would learn a new coding language just because I really like to build things at the same time. And so was was building all these all this like uh, programming knowledge and got to tinker a lot and was able to use that to secure my first job as at an internal startup at one of the hospitals here. Um, ended up going to another startup and then and then co-founded Rendever. So really uh, there's there's a whole bunch of like starts and stops throughout that entire process. But that's wild. So you never yeah. had a traditional job. You weren't an accountant for any stretch of time. You always no. did something pretty unusual. No. Yeah, yeah. Pretty fun. That's fascinating. All right, folks, it's time for a quick commercial break. Now, I've been doing this for a very long time, and let me tell you, folks, it's a pretty thankless job to create another podcast in a sea of about a trillion of them. Who the hell cares? So I'm going to use the sponsorship time that will one day be filled for tens of thousands of dollars, I'm sure, by brands like Patagonia to plug my own ethical marketing company, Aloha Marketing. That's A-L-O-A Marketing. We specialize in helping mission-driven startups, nonprofits, and people and organizations with a message worth sharing from e-commerce websites with thousands of products to redesigns to social media management, content creation, video, audio like this piece you're listening to right now, to SEO, to learning management systems, and much more. We handle all aspects of your brand and marketing in the digital age. So if you are in need of assistance or if you know someone who does, Visit aloamarketing.com. That's aloamarketing.com. And now enough of that nonsense. Back to the show. So you said you started a a few startups. Uh, Have you always been self-funded? Have you always used outside funding? What's been your approach to getting your ideas made? So yeah, Rendever is the first one that I co-founded. I I have a a few other things that I've started that are are less less, uh, startup. Um, but I've been a part of other startups. I've been a part of internal startups at large organizations. And through each experience, there's been a lot of failure, right? Tons yeah. of failure. And through each experience, I, I've been able to just learn so much, like truly hard earned lessons. Mm. And so when we started Rendever, I really took all of those. And I was like, we're going to make sure that we do this right. And 2015, 2016, when those cardboard headsets got sent out, while it was exciting, by no means were those pieces of cardboard commercially viable virtual reality. Right. So while we were able to start building with some of Samsung's early devices and get some really, really strong demonstrations, we knew we were really early to market, like far too early to market back mm. then. And at the same time, we saw the impact. We saw just how significant it was when you put on a headset to someone who might've spent months depressed. You put this headset on, you bring them to Italy and this huge smile spreads across their face and they just like light up. They're like we, there is, there's so much to uncover here. And so we took the approach that while we're too early, we know we want to do this and we're going to really devote ourselves, devote our resources, devote our time to full scale market education. 
Just anybody who wants to learn, anybody who's interested, anybody who wants to see it for themselves, we're there, we'll show you. Um, and really took the approach of we, we, we need to build belief. We need to build belief through sharing experiences, which is core to who we are. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we, so we took that approach and really only started to pour fuel on the fire uh, when it really felt like the market was ready. So cool. And I think the question, if you don't mind me asking, but a, a question that a lot of people have, most people, as you know, bills weigh heavy, rent weighs heavy, healthcare weighs heavy. If you have kids, childcare weighs heavy. People are so often drowning in the practical day-to-day realities. How did you keep yourself afloat while building these various dreams and while learning programming and all of these skills? Yeah, that's a it's a good question. It's a personal question for sure. Um, I if will, you don't mind, I, if you don't, you don't no, have to no, answer a, if you don't want to. It's but. okay. It's okay. I'll say I'll say it's it's worth noting that um, I had a ton of privilege in knowing that um, like I have an amazing relationship with my family. We're all super super close. Like like I had savings. I I, I had I had a financial backbone to build on. Uh, I was able to take up like side gigs and do hourly work, but I also fully had the privilege of knowing that if something was to go drastically wrong, I wasn't alone. Mm. I wasn't alone. Like I, I had a family who I knew would support me and make sure nice. that everything worked out. And that is, that is so privileged. And I, and I fully recognize that um, because it, it made it easy to take the leap. To take and, the leap. Yeah. yeah th- thankful for family day in and day out. And I think it's actually, it's been really important and ask anybody who's on our team. I'm like, we are, our entire company culture is it's everything we're doing is is spot on, but family comes first, no matter what. Well, thank you for sharing that. That's beautiful. And I'm glad that you're able to pass that gratitude and humility on Mm -hmm. and instill those values in your company, because that's, that's so important. I've talked about values a lot with other people. And Again, it's if you're building your own thing, why build the wrong values into it? If you have the luxury, if you're coming into somebody else's thing, you don't have a choice. You got to follow their rules. But when you're building your own thing to recognize and reprioritize, that's huge. Totally. Totally. And I think the the reprioritize thing like past we've we've been doing this for 6 years now, right? Yeah. And so much has changed in the past 6 years. No and kidding. I think that as a as a as a founder and as a founder who gets to, um, has the pleasure of it being bootstrapped and has the pleasure of really the, the, the pressure is internal. Um, the pressure to succeed is internal. We don't have a lot of external pressure there. Um, we're able to really take a hyper-intentional approach to everything and always reevaluate, like, how can we be doing better? Or like, are we staying true to our values in, in the way that we're approaching this? And, um, it's made our guiding light so strong across the company uh, it's really unique. It's really unique. I, I, I wouldn't have built this any other way. Amazing. Amazing. And so you built this, you said six years, a lot of crazy stuff has happened, but then some accolades, some very big accolades start rolling in Forbes 30 under 30, huge. Congratulations on that. Um, you have also been recognized. Was it in, in time magazine hundred? Was it most influential companies? Some accolade this year, this year 2022. Yeah. My God. So how are these people finding you? Do you reach out or your the word had just spread? Yeah, that 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 time one still is a is a big smile. What's what's crazy? That's wild. It, came, it came on the the heels of in 2021, we launched a couple, we well, we launched one really new platform called Rendever Live, which uh, allowed us to do live programming through VR, which we were like distributing our programming to communities in a, in a really centralized, really cool, really unique way. And, and it's like this whole new approach to community building, which I could talk about also for hours. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was honored by Time's uh, 100 Best Inventions list. We, we, we were listed as an honoree um, in 2021. And yeah, it's just it's, those accolades, like their external validation, that, that there's a limit to, to, to what you can get from it. But like there's, as a company, again, since we don't have the external pressure and since everything is so internal, um, what, what we've built is a company that is really high on gratitude. One of my favorite parts about our company is that we kickstart every single all hands meeting with a kudos session where everybody just gives kudos to everybody. I think the, the last meeting last week, it lasted a full 25 minutes. 
in an hour and a half long meeting, 25 minutes was people just delivering kudos to each other and like expressing gratitude. And, and that's really unique. And so we had that so, so well built internal, but you can't deny how amazing it feels to get some of that external validation and to, uh, for that time, 100 most influential companies list, like the companies that we were there with, right? I mean, Apple. That's crazy. Yeah, that's huge. It was, it was amazing. I think also, you know, if we're going to take a, a step back to earlier parts of the conversations, hopefully also it's, it's, it's an important step in showing that age tech is serious. Age tech is important. Age tech is, is starting to really enter the market and go beyond like the niche idea of senior living and, um, which isn't, which isn't niche. That's not the right word, but you know what I mean? Like it's, it's, it's been kind of separate. Because well, we compartmentalize it and very, deliberately. That's so. the right word. Thank you. Well, Thank you, you might say we just kick them to the curb. It's inconvenient. All right, grandma, get out of here. Somebody else is going to take care of you now in an assisted living facility. Some, some, sure. Not, um, not my problem anymore. Yeah. Sure, 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 sure. We, 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 could, we, we could go deep on that too. But yeah, it, it's definitely compartmentalized. And you know, to be able to step out with such a big accolade and have, have like a, a big moment for the overall age tech industry and in, in getting that recognition and getting, getting that, the, those eyeballs is just, I'm excited about it. I think, I think we're about to see a lot of things shift in the age tech industry. And it's great to be at the forefront of it. Yeah, no kidding. Super cool. So before we talk about some of the outcomes, like you said, the the 30% increase, all the diabetes, all of those unexpected negative outcomes that come with isolation, I wanted to ask a quick question. Scale of one to 10. One is I have the worst life I can possibly imagine. 10 is I have the best life I can possibly imagine. Where do you feel you're at right now? Oh, that would be, is it ridiculous to say 10? I think that's a 10. I was already at a 10. And then I just, you know, on the personal note, I think I said in the beginning, I just got a golden retriever puppy too. <laughs> I was already at 10. And now I'm at like 11. Puppy. I, I would say I'm at 11. We're, we're, oh, we're man. I completely yeah. forgot about that. <laughs> that's right. Well, that's fabulous. That's fabulous to hear. So, you, yeah. yeah, because you're getting these accolades, your career is developing, and the external validation funding has been coming in. The sport is good. You're honored on Time and Forbes, and you love what you do. And I you love see what you do part. The yeah. impact of what you do. It's not just I'm working in into a void. You get to see tangible results on a day-to-day basis. Um, Seriously. That's what so, it yeah. is. And, and, and just, uh, just another note on that point, I think one of the most important things that we've built as a company is – you know, as we get bigger and bigger and bigger, the number of people who are frontline, the number of people who are visiting the communities, we get to see it firsthand that that proportion is, is smaller. And one of the best things that we've done, and this has been true during the pandemic too, is we've built up um, a lot of mechanisms in which we make sure that, like, again, our approach is to empower people to deliver these experiences and create these magical moments with the people that they're caring for. Our relationship with each of the communities that we work with is so strong. Our approach is so like relationship driven that we are constantly getting partners, like really every single day who will send us a note, who will send us a video, who will send us a photo of ways in which they've used our endeavor to change somebody's life. And then that obviously gets shared all over our internal Slack messages and um, that it allows us to stay so close to the mission. And again, to wake up every single day and know like without a doubt what we're doing is making really significant positive impact. And you can remove everything else. Like that, that, that makes life a 10. Wow. That's, that's just so great. When we think about historically, let's say the last few decades of senior care, senior living, mm-hmm. when you think of what community means in those often dismal environments, mm-hmm. and I was there in the final moments of my wife's uh, grandmother's life, and she hated it. She hated every minute. She was stuck with a bunch of people who were cognitively below her. She was very limited and she felt very frustrated because she retained most of her cognitive abilities until the very end. And she was 98 years old. She was a heck of a woman. Insane. But she was very frustrated because she felt, oh, nobody, I can't connect with any of the people around me. And there quite frankly weren't that many people around her, just a, a dozen or two perhaps in, in her little wing. When we think about senior care historically, we think about somebody wheeling out a small TV on a cart 
them gathering and communal time is looking at a TV, watching days of our lives, and one person wants to watch it and the other 10 don't. <laughs> and they're waiting for their turn, so to speak. So the kind of activities that have historically been available just haven't been very good. What does community look like now with your solution for them? Yeah, you know, stereotypes are so tough. That stereotype, hearing that just like, oh, hurt hurt my soul. But you're right. That is what a lot of people think about when they think about this industry. Yeah. And um, I have to say the industry has changed so much. Great. Like if you look at 60, even six years ago when we, when we got started versus today, like every single person, every single member of this industry, I think it's, it's really unique in that everybody cares, right? Like you don't end up in this industry by accident. You do it because there's something that pulls your heart towards taking care of our, our, our older uh, society members. And that makes it a really beautiful industry to work in. I think that unfortunately up until recently, um, the lack of, innovation in the space, the lack of people who had the capacity to build such amazing things, turning and saying, how can we make the aging process better, meant that no matter how much heart you had, it was so easy to burn out. And it was so easy to, to struggle. And it was so easy to get stuck in days of our lives, right? And um, today, that's so different, right? And, and that's very much due to companies like us and other companies who are starting to innovate in this space where we're using all the amazing things that are happening in the world of technology and saying, let's, let's figure out how to apply it to this demographic, change, change people's lives. And with more and more people turning this way, I think that what, what kind of is unspoken, but really, really truly felt about across the industry is that it's, it's a lot of teamwork happening, right? Like, and, and that's, I said it just a little bit ago, like our approach is really partnership-based. It's relationship-based. It's every single community partner that we work with. We're not just like selling them hardware. They don't go on and like check out on a cart and just start using Rendever, right? We are in constant contact with them to make sure that we're understanding how they're using it. Make sure we see like, oh, that's an opportunity that you might not think about. Try that. And it means that we really get to augment the on the ground work through our technology, but also through, uh, the relationships that we have with each individual and the relationships we have across the entire community of senior living, because we learn something from everybody. Then we get to boil that into a better approach that we then mm. send to everybody. And then those staff members then get to use that approach and create these magical moments, which you, you get someone to lighten up and come alive in VR and connect and have a deep conversation. And like that just, it just fills your cup right up. Do you do anything with music? I wonder because obviously music therapy is a hot topic right now. It's a great, for... great question. And music therapy, unfortunately, the number of music therapists that are licensed is it's dismally low. I think a few still, years huh? ago, still, yeah, a few years ago, I remember uh, I was I was visiting a community and they had a music therapist, and it turned out that she was the only licensed music therapist in the state of Rhode Island. No way, one, one and only in, in one of the states. <laughs> oh, Hopefully that shifted a little bit, but there's yeah. obviously opportunity there. And, and yeah. uh, there, there, there are some cool companies that are looking and seeing how we can do this. Well, there, there's a company called SaneFit that is actually based in, in LA um, that's looking at broadening access to music therapy. And as far as what we're doing with music, uh, so, some of our most exciting moments have been through music-based experiences. You know, there is, there's one, we work with healthcare systems too in, in our uh longest-standing, biggest healthcare system, UC Health. They're amazing. They have a really big focus on patient experience. Uh, they work all throughout the state of Colorado, and they had a stage four pancreatic cancer patient who like, spent her whole life involved in music. And we got a call. We were like, we need to, we need to figure out how to, how to bring her something unique. And so we partnered with uh, the Colorado Symphony and went on stage at Red Rocks Amphitheater filmed the entire symphony experience during sunset at Red Rocks oh and it brought God. this patient as the first person to get to experience it. And it was unforgettable. And, you know, at one point she said, music has always been my medicine. And one of the hardest parts about navigating this journey is, you know, her, her access to being able to experience live music is just totally cut. And to be able to put on a headset and all of a sudden be on stage at one of the most beautiful, natural... One of the most spectacular music venues in the entire world. 
with an amazing symphony of the Colorado Symphony. It was just, it was incredible. That's so great. And you get to decide, you get to choose, and you get feedback. Somebody says, I'm looking for this kind of experience. And you say, okay, let's yeah. make it happen. We can do yeah. that. And that's that. That's our approach, right? It's, it's we're looking for what people want. You know, in the, in the early days, we were thinking, oh, we can we're gonna do a lot of nature experiences, a lot of animal experiences. We totally have puppy experiences on the platform. And those, those deliver really, really well. But we were totally limited in the beginning. And now we understand if there's an opportunity to impact one individual at one community with an experience, the life that comes to that one individual and the relationship they build that staff member by nature of social dynamics, right? That spills out to every other member of the community. And so our approach to experience building is just, it's widespread uh, and, and it's paid off in such incredible ways. That's incredible. And I'm sure that the staff appreciate having more tools at their disposal yeah. so that they get to feel more fulfilled in their work. Obviously, the people who are using it get to feel more fulfilled. Have you gotten any insight? I know it may be early as far as statistics are concerned, but at the beginning, we talked about all these horrible statistics of loneliness and social isolation. We know that humans are social creatures. We know that loneliness is bad and even kills. Have you seen any positive progress? Is there anything you can point to where you can say these outcomes are getting reduced through this kind of technology? Totally, totally. And, you know, back to what I said before, in 2016, VR wasn't ready. We had to do market education. Back then, when we said we could use VR to positively impact the lives of older adults, there were a lot of people who reacted in some pretty funny ways. And so we knew one of the first things we had to do was not, not just demonstrate, not just show people what it looked like, but we also had to do some research. So one of the first things we did was we did a study with uh, MIT Age Lab. Joe Coughlin is one of the biggest influences in the aging industry and the longevity economy. And uh, Benchmark Senior Living is one of the biggest operators here in New England where we're based. And you know, as, as a company, we, we've really built this platform. We've built everything on, on this this idea that the foundation of human connection is positive shared experience. And what we're doing through our platform is we're enabling people to get these experiences and through that form connections. And I think at this point, hopefully everybody listening, like kind of understands what that is. Uh, but back then it was like, what, what does that even mean? And so we set out to, to, to say, we, we can do this. And what we found is that for just two weeks of daily shared experiences in Randever, uh, participants had statistically significant decreases in their depression scores and increases in multiple measures of social health. Most interestingly, people actually started to trust each other more. So what? when we think about what it means to build a relationship, right, one of the fundamental elements is trust, right? You need the capacity to trust someone if you're going to build a relationship with them. And to see that positively be influenced through just two weeks of experiences points to, you know, this isn't just people having fun together using technology. This is people who are presented with a unique opportunity to really authentically, genuinely connect, and they're taking it and they're running with it. I mean, what more can you say than that? That's truly fabulous. And I'm so glad that you have made it your life's work to commit to this. And I really look forward to hearing what kinds of innovations and what kind of new statistics you can bring about in the next decade. It seems like the possibilities are truly limitless. Truly, truly, through the technology and also through all the heart that's in this industry, there's there's so much that we can do. And we, ha we have an active clinical trial going, so we'll have more data to share. And uh, it really feels like we are just at the beginning of what's possible. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. Well, I'm, I'm floored. I'm blown away by everything you've said, by your intelligence, your stick-to-itiveness, your commitment to a cause greater than yourself. These are all of the things that I personally value the most in society and in individuals. I'm very glad to have made your acquaintance today. I, I couldn't support what you're doing anymore, just just period. I think it's awesome. Um, I, I do want to end with one little quick question that I often do. Again, we talk about unusual success stories. What would you say is the most counterintuitive or unusual piece of advice or something that goes against the grain of what people normally are taught or believe that you believe 100%? Hmm. I, it's a great question. I'm going to use the word grain. Um, the, as an early entrepreneur, everybody wanted to give advice. And the advice to everybody is, you know, you're not the first person to do something. 
go out there, figure out who did what, like what, what can you learn from everybody? And while there's truth to that, I think the thing that I really stuck to as an early entrepreneur was everyone has advice, but that advice is 100% informed on their, by their personal experiences. And if you take somebody's advice without actively figuring out how big of a grain of salt you need to put on that piece of advice, you're going to be sent in every single which way direction. And there is so much power. And if you're fully confident in what you're doing and the approach you have and your why, then take as much advice as you can, but understand that you need to be adding grains of salt to all of it. That's, that's great. Very sobering and wise message for sure. So before I give you the floor to wrap up this episode, another thing on a practical note, somebody out there who has people who are in the system right now, relatives, younger generation, people have grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle, father, mother, anybody in the system, what advice would you ha have to them? Let's say that they're experiencing something that they're disappointed with. What would you say that they could do to make some steps to improve the quality of life for their relatives or loved ones? That's a great question. I think um, that the easiest one to say is to have, is to reach out to me and like, you know, <laughs> Let's see, let's get, let's get That's some what we call alley oop in the industry. <laughs> <laughs> let's get some Rendever going. Um, so I will say on that note, Rendever.com, come reach out. Uh, we are always excited to expand our community of partners and uh, we're, we're, we're here to serve the industry and make the industry better. So please do reach out. Uh, but uh, on an individual basis in ways that you can be better, um, it, I think one of the things that is tough to navigate is caregiver guilt and caregiver burden, right? You experience these things hand in hand, right? As, as your duties as a caregiver go up, whether or not you're alone, you have help with home care, you have a loved one in senior living, you're still a caregiver, right? By, by definition of the relationship. And as those duties go up, the burden goes up and your emotional response, right? Can be a little bit more wide ranging, which creates opportunity for caregiver guilt to set in. And I think the one thing that I would encourage everybody who's in the middle of that process would be to, you know, remember that it's a relationship that you're a part of, and it's really easy to get wrapped up in the caregiving side of the relationship, but there is another element to that relationship and figure out how to set up time, space, opportunities to be a part of the relationship as it exists outside of your caregiver duties. And that makes everything better. It will make everything better. And then ways to help that use technology, use you like create an experience, do do something that that creates a conversation that's easy to lean into. That's not about medication. It's not about diet. It's not about you know how you're feeling. It's 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 about something else. Well, both sides both sides will be better for it. I think that's a fabulous way to wrap up our discussion. Again, thank you so much for your time, Kyle. It's been an absolute pleasure. I'm so jazzed about what you're doing, and I look forward to following your progress from afar and, and cheering you on. And I wish you a great time when you come out here. I hope you enjoy yourself in this neck of the woods, and I hope we can stay in touch. So I really, really appreciate you coming on, Kyle. Thanks, Ross. It was really, really, really great to be here. I really loved the conversation. My pleasure. And with that, the podcast is officially over. Oh.